Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings, where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today's story was recorded at the Memphis Gathering. Our storyteller Brandy began modeling when she was just 13 years old and still does today, but walked away from a lucrative contract at age 17, sensing God had something different for her. Her experiences in fashion led her to deeper questions about beauty, image, womanhood, and identity, with a firm conviction that these things should work together to reflect the one greater than ourselves. Through sharing her story, Brandy challenges us to think about who and what defines beauty for us. Her hope is that we would come to see how God desires to use us as both physical and spiritual beings made for something beautiful. Here is Brandy. Good morning. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share about my story this morning. And several months ago, Lynn called me. It was May, and I think she maybe was driving home from a taping, a recording of the podcast Storytellers. Okay. So she uh, encouraged me to. Um, we're really good friends, so we can talk about this later. But. Um, She said, hey, have you heard of this podcast? And I had not. And she said, I want you to pray about sharing your story, but I also would encourage you to listen. And so in May, I began on my runs or whatever, just listening to stories of many women, many of whom were sharing things of significant loss and struggle and really served to encourage me in my own faith. Uh, So I'm thankful today to be a part of it and be here. Uh, Just a little bit about me, and Lynn did talk about this. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I have two very loving parents. I'm the oldest of three. I have a brother and a sister. And I actually went to college in Birmingham at Sanford University. And so the podcast originates in a city that I hold very dear. I met my husband when I moved back to Orlando after college. And he was a new Christian. He had left a career in sales and was working as a youth minister and taking classes at a seminary there. And I was a middle and high school science teacher. And we met in seminary. We were married within a year, and we um, moved to New Jersey to finish our degrees up there. Matt became a pastor, and my degree focused on the relationship between science and faith. And we have been in ministry together ever since, and I am so grateful for him in my life. Uh, We worked together at a church in New Jersey, and then my husband took a job as a pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida. 
And then 10 years ago this summer, we moved to Memphis to be a pastor of a local church here. And she did, Lynn did say, I have, t- I have four kids. I have a daughter who was a freshman in high school. So these issues that I'm talking about today in my story are very dear to me. Uh, on a personal note, I have a son who is 12, a son who is nine, and a daughter who just turned seven last week and is who runs our house. <laughs> um, so my story today is really one of God slowly over time transforming my understanding of how he sees people and then how I should see people. And it starts a very long time ago. It starts when I was a little girl and I have always been drawn to the beauty of creation. It has always been a place for me of both worship and struggle. I was the kid that went to science camps literally every summer of elementary school. For my eighth Christmas gift, I got a microscope. For my ninth, I got a set of animal encyclopedias. For those of you that don't know what an encyclopedia is, it's a hardback Wikipedia. (laughs) That's what it is, okay? I loved being outside. I loved all of the details of creation, and I was really drawn to beauty. This often, even as a little child, translated to worship. Um, And it was also a real means of my own salvation, believing that there was a creator that had done all this. As I got older, I was drawn to further understanding the human body, the physiology of the body, the design of our body. I have always been someone that notices someone's bone structure, eye beds, hair. I just, I really have always enjoyed studying the body as a beautiful palette of creation. As I got into middle school, color and texture and fabric and the body as a palette really became something beautiful to me. And this did lead to a desire to do, to be a model in middle school. In middle school, I began doing local jobs. Um, My first shoot was for a textbook. So then later my friends would be like, I saw you in my history book, which is not so glamorous, but kind of funny. Um, And then again, I'm from Orlando. So a lot of my work was Disney, a lot of print and commercials for all of the theme parks down there. When I got into high school, um, I hit the the acceptable age for fashion modeling, which is 5'9", and I really began to push my parents and pursue a car- not only just d- being a model, but possibly having that be my career. During this season, I also, I did have faith in God. Uh, the prayer that I have found since then in my journal often was Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. As a 13 and 14-year-old, I prayed this in earnest. I really did want to know what it meant to delight myself in the Lord. And I also really did want him to give me what I wanted. (laughs) Um, And I believe those two went in tandem like that. So during this time, I'm journaling. I'm excited. And if I'm honest, I loved the art and the beauty of the industry. But I also really did love the attention. As high school began calls increased, and I began to do a few commercials, a few national commercials. The one that was most recognizable, and some of my dear friends know this because it's humorous now, is um, Men in Deodorant. I don't know, those. I'm in my 40s, so those of you remember when the, the line called Teen Spirit came out, I was the first teen spirit girl. <laughs> and um, this is funny, and it aired, the commercial actually aired when um, Beverly Hills 90210 (laughs) premiered. So I was on TV with Shannon Doherty. (laughs) 
and so and I wasn't even allowed to watch that show. So <laughs> I would sneak around to wait for the commercials to see myself. And um, so obviously I can laugh about this now and I can look back, but I was excited about being in a commercial that was using my face to promote powder for your armpits. I mean, let's just, this is obviously my idea of what beauty is and was and how it should be used needed to be revised and redeemed a little bit. Um, and a little side note, there's that song by Nirvana. Do you remember that song? Yes, there is a story there between deodorant, the Teen Spirit Girls, and that Nirvana song, if you want to Google that at a different time. <laughs> okay. Um, the couple that owned, I had, one thing I didn't say is my, when I started really pursuing this, my parents found a, like a modeling school in Orlando, and it, the couple that owned it became good friends and mentors to me. And my, they, there was a class on confidence and how to talk to people, how to present yourself. And I really enjoyed being there, and I got very close to this couple to the point where I began working at that school. And one day when I was in high school, the owner of that school called me and said, hey, Brandy, I wanted to let you know that a new model manager is coming in from New York City, and I want him to meet you. So this was upping the game a little bit in terms of me wanting this career. And one thing led to another, and soon I was signed with an agent in Miami. So one of my first fashion sh photo shoots was for a German magazine on South Beach. My parents drove the five and a half hours down to South Beach, dropped me off, and went back home. I was 15 years old in my own hotel room, and this is how it was done back then. And so the next day, I walked along South Beach to the trailer where I would get dressed for the shoot. I had said no bathing suits in my contract. And I, I, remember, I remember walking along this beautiful beach and being very excited and being grateful for the opportunity, for meeting new people. And I thought, this is great. I'm beautiful. I'm going to meet other beautiful people. We're all going to have a beautiful shoot together. <laughs> So I walk into this trailer, and it's a lot of German people. They're drinking really black coffee in little cups and speaking a language I do not know. And soon one of the girls in there ushered me to the back room and basically just took my clothes off. There was another model in the room that I would get to know later, but they put me in a top that it wasn't a bathing suit, but you know the tops that snap down below? that they tried to bring back last year that they should never, ever do. <laughs> but um, they put that on me, and they began, you know, pinning it where it needed to pin, patting it where it needed to be padded. I mean, I was a prop. My, they, they, her hands were all over me, getting me dressed, putting a sarong skirt. And I said, well, I don't do bathing suits. This feels a little bit like a bathing You know, I'm 15. I'm by myself, no parent. And she goes, it's not a bathing suit. You're fine. Boom, just pushed me right out of that trailer into a, onto a beautiful beach where there were then men, photographers, and they felt the total freedom to push and prod and poke wherever they felt necessary also. It did not feel really beautiful. Afterwards, I'm, my head is spinning, and he did. Within a few minutes of that first shoot, he, the photographer said, take the skirt off. We're going to shoot you the whole one piece. I said, I don't do bathing suits. And he goes, it's not a bathing suit. And so I also felt violated, if I'm honest. I was uncomfortable, and I was actually fired from that job. The next day they cut me because I wouldn't do those kinds of suits. But I didn't know that at the time that they would cut me that day. So afterwards, the, model, the other model and I went to lunch. She was a little bit older, had been modeling for a long time, and she ordered a piece of black toast with a slice of tomato and a black coffee. And she explained to me that this was her diuretic, 
that she was trying to lose more weight and would, um, this would soon exit her body. She had, I'll never forget what she looked like. She had black hair, bangs, just jet black bangs, long hair, huge brown eyes, very defined cheekbones. She was striking and she was miserable. She did not like her body. She did not like her appearance. She was being mistreated by her boyfriend that she was living with, and she was really struggling. So that was my shoot, my first fashion shoot. That was my first lunch with another model, and then I had to walk home by myself to my hotel room. I was holding my shoes, and I my head was spinning, and there were parts of the day I enjoyed, but I did begin to ask that day, what does it actually mean to be beautiful. I think I was really confused by that event. I thought, what does it mean to be beautiful and how in the world should beauty function? How, what is the purpose and motive for it? I did continue to work and shortly after the shoot, my manager called, this manager now that had me in Miami, and although I was 5'9 and I weighed 115 pounds, the agencies interested in me in New York wanted an inch to two inches off my hips. So my manager told me to walk 45 minutes every day for the next six weeks and to drink more water. So up until this point, honestly, I did think I had a handle on how I felt about my body. But when your body begins to get critiqued like that, significant self-consciousness arises. Beauty, to me, was something that was becoming very exact and very defined. So now I'm 16 and I'm processing this, and I'm still praying Psalm 37.4. I still am praying that in earnest. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm also becoming acutely aware of body measurements, right? That you should be these certain exact measurements. So beauty and body was becoming something very distorted for me. I continued to work and did a lot of shows, was on a teen board for a department store, and this whole time, I was also very connected to my church community. There were women investing in me faithfully there. My youth minister and his wife were a huge presence in my life. My parents were a loving and consistent presence. So I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm growing. I'm trying to understand what does it mean to be faithful, um, but I'm also really excited still amidst all this about this possible career. My junior year now, so I'm 16-ish, maybe 17, my junior year, my manager called and said he was planning what's called a model showcase, like a talent search kind of thing in the 90s, kind of different. Um, And he was flying in about 15 to 20 agencies from all over the world to meet his only his models in Central Florida. And I was very hesitant to do this at first. This did mean being in a bathing suit and heels. Um... But I was wrestling with it. It was in a nightclub. All the things that I thought I would never do. He told me the agents would be from Milan and Paris, Japan, L.A., New York, Miami, San Francisco. And he really encouraged me to come. So I did. So that night, I got up. And the way it works is every every model was given a number. So you weren't identified by your name. You were identified by your number. We got up in a formal outfit. We got up in a casual outfit. And, you know, it's a big stage bright lights, and then we finally got up in our bathing suits. Once it was over, they had us all come out on the stage together with our big numbers, and every agent had a representative that would just get up with the microphone, the MC would just hand the microphone, and they would just call out your number. And if the agency called your number the next day, all the model uh, management companies were staying at the same hotel in Orlando, and you would go to the callback in their hotel room. 
So here I was standing there, and you're just hoping that your number gets called once or twice. And agency after agency stood up to call the numbers, and my number was called by every single agency there. So the MC met with me and said, this has never happened. You need to get there really early. And that morning and that whole day, I met people from all over the world. By the end of that day, I had two contracts on the table. I was excited, right? Like, this is what I've prayed. But there was also within me a real a deep hesitancy. And you know what I'm talking about. When there is just something, and maybe that was age, maybe it was newness, but it, it, it was deeper than that. And so I was realizing as a 17-year-old, I was going to have to make a decision soon. It began to be clear that I had to decide between this and, and college. Well, during that time, I started having a dream. <laughs> and this stands out because if, I don't remember my dreams. I still don't remember my dreams, but this dream I remembered. And this dream that I journaled about was I kept waking up, and the dream was my face on the cover of a magazine in flames. <laughs> and this would wake me up at night, and I began to wonder what it could mean. I would journal about it. I would wake up very uneasy uh, because the doors were opening, flying open with opportunity, but yet there was this deep struggle. And, you know, I was old enough to realize and believe that God was speaking to me through this dream to challenge my notion of what I wanted to live for. Did I want to live for something temporal, or did I want to live for something that would be long-lasting, everlasting, eternal? Shortly after that, a, a mentor of mine, she was a friend's mom, invited me to lunch. She had never done that before, but she just asked me all about what I was thinking, what I was deciding. My youth group knew this was heavy on my heart, and she just shared. She was very non-judgmental. But she just pulled out of her purse a newspaper article. Remember those? They cut them out. And she handed it to me. So much of this day. She handed me this newspaper article. And it was about the, the drawbacks in the fashion industry. And she just said, I love you. I support you. But I want you to think about who you're becoming. And I hope that this article will be a part of that. Literally that weekend, my youth minister and his wife called me and said, hey, we want to meet with you after youth on Sunday night. Will you just stay a few minutes? I said, sure. And he just said, I want to challenge you with how God's made you and why. And I want you to pray, and I want you to seek him, and we love you no matter what you decide, but I just want you to think about it. And so I drove home from youth that night, and again, my head is spinning, and I'm, I'm just feeling that deep hesitancy and just an urgency now. And um, so following week that morning, I got up to have a quiet time, and it was like I remembered this story in the Bible about... Gideon testing God, but I couldn't remember what the story was. I couldn't remember where it was. Finally, I found it, it was in the book of Judges. And um, for those of you, you know, Gideon was called by God to help rescue his people from the Midianites. And he was unsure, though, about this hefty calling. And so he asked, remember that he said, God, I'm going to put out a fleece. And in the morning, if there's dew on it and no dew on the ground, I'll know that I'm supposed to rescue your people. But I loved what he said because he wasn't quite sure after that. It did happen. But then he said, Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. And he asked for one more sign. And I just, that just stands out to me. I remember that God is gracious. I don't recommend theologically us using scripture this way, let me just say. But as a 16-year-old young woman, I am grateful that God was gracious to me when I asked him and put out two fleeces, which is what I did. I had two large jobs coming up. One was for a department store called The Body Shop. Not the smelly stuff, but do you remember the, there was actually a clothing store? And 
I had been chosen to be the model for that year. So in their stores, in their billboards, in their magazines, that would have been a huge thing career-wise for me. The other job was for a German magazine, which would be the equivalent of a Spiegel here, which does anyone even know what that is? I don't know. Maybe Bowdoin now or Lance. We don't really have magazines anymore. (laughs) But these were jobs that would have put me to the next level, so to speak. So they were my fleeces. I put them out. I was on my knees that morning, and I said, God, I give you these jobs. Just somehow show me if this is my future. I was on my knees in my peach and aqua bedroom, leaning against my white wrought iron trundle bed. Okay? I literally got up off my knees, and my telephone in my room rang. My mom answered it in the next room, and she came in and said, I have some bad news, but you've gotten undercut for body shop, which means they hired an older model, they can pay half the price, and you get cut. I was cut within five minutes of that prayer from that shoot. And I remember thinking, my mom has no idea what she just said to me. (laughs) Um, A few days later, I came home from school. I was a a junior in high school. And my mom, same thing, met me at the door and said, you're going to be disappointed, but... um, The clothing for the German shoot has been stuck in customs. They've canceled the shoot. They're doing the whole thing in Germany. It will never be here. They don't need you anymore. So I just walked straight to my bedroom. And I sat on that white trundle bed. And there was definitely disappointment for me as a 17 to 16-year-old girl. But I also, I felt safe. I was surprised at how I felt. I felt sure. I felt empowered that there was someone guiding me. I didn't have to make these decisions. And to this day, I, remember, I recall that day so often as a, his, of God's presence palpable in my bedroom saying, I love you so much and I have your future. So as I look back, a few things he was making me aware of, I just, I feel like he was slowly making me aware of plans that he would have. He was at the very beginning, starting to change how I understood beauty, and that has continued, he was giving me a glimpse, a small one, of what my life would be about. And he was developing within me a lens to see women, young women, the way that he sees them. I don't think any of us could have foreseen now with the onslaught of social media and the marketing that's taking place now, what kind of an identity crisis that young women would be having based on their appearance. And it is severe, and it is significant. So a few days after this, I did tell my parents, and I said, I'm going to college. I've decided. So completely surrendered modeling, went to college, went to Sanford. I studied biology and Spanish. And from a biblical standpoint, I began to really try and understand our bodies and beauty and what did it mean that as women were made in the image of God, specifically as women, what did that mean? That we do behold, we're noticeable creatures. We are. I mean, scripture's clear on that. We are noticeable. We've been made physically to be noticeable and beautiful, and it's something to celebrate. How does that mean? How do we differently reflect the image of God? Um, in science, I was This just kind of went hand in hand for me. I love studying the human body. And so these things were really um, became fields of worship for me. But up until college, my faith was was mine. I had deep faith. I tried to be a good person. But in college, God put in my life women and men and a discipleship ministry that began to really show me and model for me that my, my life, my faith wasn't something I just believed. 
but that my faith was always meant to be given away, that my life, my emotions, my spirit, everything that I had, my body was meant to be given away and to serve others. So he was enlarging my understanding of my role as a daughter and an image bearer to him. And now I can look back and be thankful. He wasn't limiting my choices. He was expanding my understanding of who he is and how he works in the world, and I'm grateful for that. After college, I began teaching science to middle and high school students, and I saw firsthand the harmful effects of our culture's definition of beauty and what it was doing to young women. In my third year of teaching, I had a little student that brought romaine lettuce every day in her lunch, and I kept her after one day. I was mentoring a group of, of women, of young of girls, and I said, hey, honey, you know, do you just not have time? Like, I was sharing my lunch with her, and she started crying, and my mom won't give me anything else. She says, I, I don't. You know, I need to lose weight, and so this is what she packs in my lunch. <laughs> um, I had to go in my lab room and cry, and then I brought her lunch every day. But we all know a middle school girl's body, and this is where it begins, but a middle schooler's body, some bodies grow out, then up. Some grow up, then out. You have girls that are 4'10". You have girls that are 5'10". You have girl- I mean, for goodness sake, middle school bodies are a mess, and they're beautiful. <laughs> They are, all those changes should be celebrated, <laughs> not Harvard. A few weeks ago, I spoke at a local church's um, retreat for young girls, and I had a mom come to me, and she said, my daughter won't wear pants. I mean, she won't wear shorts or skirts because she's so self-conscious of her ankles. She hates her ankles. I mean, this is where we are, that we have a precious child who's upset about the shape of her ankles. So... I said, well, point out your daughter to me, you know, because I want to just get to know her and talk to her. And she was literally as skinny as skinny could be and was so self-conscious they were too skinny. I'm like, you just can't win. I mean, you cannot win right now. And so my heart just has continually broken about this. So slowly this conviction um, began to grow in me that part of our image bearing of, of bearing uh, beauty that should be ce- a celebratory part of creation as women and a blessed part, our bodies, we should be able to celebrate them, is becoming a place of harm for women in our culture. I continued to work with women in churches and schools, and I just began to listen, and even to myself. And um, it's just totally normal, even at church on Sunday, like before bathing suit season, oh, it's bathing suit season, I've got to lose five pounds, or I've got to lose 10 pounds. And I'm not saying losing weight or gaining weight is bad or good. I'm saying it's completely acceptable for us to degrade ourselves based on a notion of some ideal that doesn't exist, right? It's just normal. It's just totally fine for us to degrade our, degrade our bodies. And I Googled the definition of beauty the other day, and it, actually a while ago, I think about this definition a lot, and it says, um, the quality present in a thing or a person that gives intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. I love this definition. You think of a sunset, or you think of being on top of a mountain, or a beautiful art rendered by my friend over here. And just that there is something satisfying about that. Well, I believe scripture teaches, what I said realize is that that's what he says about our bodies. We should be deeply satisfied. They should not be the place that is causing us to dislike ourselves. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I think we compare, we compare ourselves. It's, it's normal because we're, we're broken. We, we're, we're made to not want what we have and to have what we don't want. I mean, it's part of our sinful nature. But there I just thought, why is it that once women have had a baby and their bellies are more rounded, that that is not beautiful? That should be a trophy. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I earned this belly. 
right? I mean, it means the way our body can and should function to bring life into this world is a sign and symbol of beauty. Or when I have bags under my eyes and I spent five minutes covering them, which I did this morning, I covered them. <laughs> but they exist because I was caring for people that I love, right? They, I was caring for my kids. Why aren't those trophies? Why isn't that a sign of beauty, of what our bodies can do, how we can push them to love and serve and give of ourselves? Who defined what is beautiful? And these are the questions I began to ask. Why is it that we have this idea in our head of a standard that should never have been there when we all carry these trophies that I think should personally, and I think scripture teaches, should be celebrated? Um, After seminary and having two of our own children So after I say all that, God called me back into the fashion industry when we moved to St. Pete. And I really questioned it at first. I had a neighbor that kept pushing me down there um, to do modeling at Home Shopping Network. (laughs) (laughs) I was the girl at 2 a.m. carrying the purse, you know. Um, It was so funny. But I loved it. And it was such a different, it's not, there was no attention to be gained, trust me. Um, um, I met all kinds of fascinating people. And it became a place where I began to learn. These thoughts, these convictions began to grow in that market. And when I moved to Memphis, when Matt took the job as a pastor here, I go, the only way I want us to go, or one of the ways, is I don't want to have to work anymore. I quit. I'm done. I want to have more babies, and I want to work. And And he goes, fine, that's fine. And then within three years, I was called into the Memphis market. And um, so I've been modeling back here in Memphis for a few years. And that is probably another story, but I have loved being in the Memphis market because it reflects beauty in a very different way than any other market I've ever been in, particularly in its diversity. So God has continued to use it to redefine for me how I understand beauty. Um, But about three years ago, on an evening run, um, Matt said he'd put the kids down and I could go for a run. I began to feel weightiness, and I do believe it was the presence of God. And I, God just almost audibly said, I want you to start sharing this. I want you to have a ministry to girls. I had been teaching again young women. I was working with women in our church. And this is just something heavy on my heart because God gave us beauty to flourish and to enjoy and to love in one another. It's a part of how he's made us. It was never meant to define us with uh, narrowly with the wrong um, a wrong goal of identity. So I ran home, helped Matt put the kids, finish putting the kids to bed. I said, babe, I think, I think I want to do this. I want to help women. And, and he looked at me and he said, those of you that know Matt, he looked at me and he goes, you want to be a part of redeeming beauty and culture, (laughs) which if you know, Matt, you know, he's always talking about Christ in culture. And he's always reminding me of how we can see and build Christ in culture. And he said, call it redeeming beauty. So my sweet husband is actually the one that named it. Um, but the next night, my daughter had soccer practice at Mike Rose. How many of you hate going there like I do? <laughs> so I, it was not worth it driving home. So I sat in the car, and I took one of my husband's legal pads and a Bible, and I thought, I am going to look up every single passage on beauty, everything about women in the Bible, everything on beauty. And I just filled that legal pad. I wanted to understand how physical beauty, go, how we're embodied. How does our physical beauty and our spiritual beauty go together? What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a daughter of the king? And in scripture, I began to see how beauty is misused and how it's celebrated, much like today, how it's, how it's, um, a source of love and care and a source of exploitation. So I called a mentor 
and I asked, I went to lunch with her, and she gave me lists of books that I should begin reading. And I started reading about the toxic culture that surrounds physical beauty today and its effects on women. And um, I don't know if you know, that I don't always like to give a lot of statistics, but I also just really started reading about young women and adolescent girls. By now, my daughter's becoming one. My friend's daughters are becoming them, and we love them. And do you know, by the time a woman is 17, she has seen more than 50,000 images geared specifically at her appearance. And, you know, marketers are intentional. They do it to create discontentment so that you'll feel contentment if you buy their product. That's defining beauty for us. Think about any we've seen. It is just in our subconscious. This is, and that's a modest number, but this cannot help but subconsciously shape how we understand um, beauty and what we need to fight against. It's a narrow definition that was never, that's not true. Also, one thing I just want to say is the population group where depression, anxiety, self-harm, self-mutilation, and eating disorders is growing the most in America is adolescent girls from affluent communities, not from working class and not from poor. It's from affluent communities. That would be ours. And this is where um, the growth is happening the most. And um, when you read about it, social media, marketing, and image-based issues are cited as one of the major contributing factors to this. So here's my question. How is it that a quality of creation that God has given us to give us deep satisfaction and pleasure in, in what he has done be causing so much harm in our young women and in us? Uh, a few years ago, I started teaching a class called Body by Design, and I always start by giving out an anonymous survey. They don't have to put their name on it, and I ask, if they, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do they like about themselves, what they don't. I also ask them to define for me the beaut most beautiful woman. And in the first class I taught, I had 10 girls, and every single girl gave me the same exact definition. Tall, skinny, long blonde hair. Some of these girls were short. Some of these girls were brunette. Some of these girls were not white. They were all beautiful. And they all, in their head, when they immediately thought of the most beautiful woman, they had the exact same thought. That's not out of scripture. It's not ever what was to be true. It is what they have been conditioned to think. But So I was heartbroken about that. But I also started thinking about my own life. I had to look at my own heart. And I started thinking, God, what do... Here's the thing. Look at me. I fit that description, right? Um, and so I thought, who's defining that for me? And um, I started doing a prayer exercise. And I started to ask God that I would see people the way he did. I started staring at people of all races, all sizes. I would find a woman, and I would just stare at her. She didn't know it. But, and I would say, God, I want to see her the way you do. Her physical beauty, her body shape, her ethnicity, whatever it was, her hair texture, color, whatever, the shape of her eyes. And I want to see people the way you do. I don't want to be conditioned by something that's not true. And I don't want these girls that I'm working with to either. And one thing that stood out to me about Memphis Fashion, this, I don't have this in here, but three years ago during Memphis Fashion Week, and I don't have a part of Memphis Fashion Week, but I love supporting it. 
and there was a picture on the front of Memphis Flyer. And one thing I love about Memphis fashion is they love to bring in fashion from all over the world. It's local designers, but one there's a lot of African design here that's beautiful and remarkable and celebratory of a different culture. And there was this picture, the cover of Memphis Flyer was two women in front of this beautiful like m- mansion, but one of the girls was super, super pale, like very, very light skinned, like almost translucent pale. And the other model, what had, she was a very dark skinned woman, very, very dark skinned. They were both in African dresses from a local designer. One was bright red and one was bright, bright yellow. And they were just standing there together. It was, you know, a very modern, stark picture. And I loved it. I was so taken by that picture of these two women that look very different in the terms of the color of their skin. And they were both wearing not typical East Memphis wear. (laughs) No vineyard vines here. And and I, I loved it. I just thought that picture to me represented hope and beauty of the diversity of every tongue, tribe, and nation someday. Um... And I'm almost done. I'm talking a lot, I know. But one thing I want to challenge us as a community here is beauty also can serve as a socioeconomic divide. And I have seen that in my own life. But I would just challenge us as a community. I have been convicted about this, that those of us that can afford to go to a gym and color our hair and hire trainers. And then there's women right in our community that have to work three jobs. They can't afford to get their 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 nails painted. And so sometimes we just define beauty based on socioeconomic, and it's something we have to be honest about. Beauty is something much deeper and much more profound. Um, but I was driving down the car. My daughter, my 14-year-old, gets the brunt of all of this. I know, Mom. You read another article. I know, Mom. You <laughs> I know. I know. Um, the other day we were driving down the car. We were actually, I was getting ready to fly to Portland to speak at a virtual versus uh, virtual versus virtuous conference. And um, I said, or, I can't say anything. I said, honey, um, right now, just out of the gate, tell me what you think of when you think of a beautiful woman. Go. And she got quiet and she said, it's a profile, mom. I go, okay, great. I go, she has long flowing hair. I go, okay. I go, what color is it? She goes, it's all colors. I go, really? She goes, all colors, like a rainbow, just of colors, hair flowing. I go, okay. And she goes, it's just basically from here up. I go, okay. And she goes, but her hands are outstretched. I said, so it's just a picture of a woman with long, she couldn't name an eye color, but she said her arms are outstretched. I said, what do you think that means? She said, I go, is it worship? I don't know, mom. (laughs) Is it service? I don't know, maybe. And we just continued to unpack this picture in her mind of beauty. And I couldn't help but think of Proverbs 31, where it says, she dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She puts her hands to the distaff. She opens her hands to the needy. She makes bed coverings in linen. And in the end of the passage says, give her the fruit of her hands. And this to me, I loved my daughter's picture of a beautiful woman. So um, the verse that I leave you with today is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it says, I appeal to you, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Something that stands out to me in this passage is that as a way that we spiritually worship our God and our King is to present our physical bodies 
We cannot separate out these two. God is asking us to present our physical bodies as a living sacrifice, as a source and means of spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say that we would be transformed by the renewal of our mind, not be conformed to this world, to the images that we see, but we fight that and we seek out and put in front of us what is true. As a 14-year-old, or really as a 17-year-old that day in my bedroom, when God took a dream away, what he was doing was loving me well and teaching me to partner with him in loving people the way he does. Not perfectly, he's perfect, but learning that my life is to be a living sacrifice. And I'm so grateful that he expanded my notion of what is beautiful in this world and what is worthy and valuable of worship. So that as women, we can encourage one another, we can celebrate one another, we don't have to compare ourselves to one another. And so now when I reflect on Psalm 27, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, is as we spend time in his word and truth, our hearts will be aligned with what he does, in fact, desire for us. And that is my prayer for us, that, that you would know that you're beautiful in the eyes of your Savior and that you are designed to give your bodies as an act of worship and that we are all made um, uniquely to reflect his beauty perfectly in the world. So thank you for allowing me to share my story with you today. As I was listening to Brandy's story, I realized that it probably breaks God's heart that so few girls and women in our world consider themselves truly beautiful. But I love how Brandy described the body as a beautiful palette of creation. And the truth is that anything created by God is inherently beautiful. And I pray that we'll begin to recognize that and trust that. If you want to learn more about Brandy or her ministry, Redeeming Beauty, you can go to her website where she also has some resources uh, that are very helpful. And her website is Brandy, B-R-A-N-D-Y, Miller, dot I-O. So Brandy Miller I-O. We're so glad that you tuned in for Brandy's story. And don't forget that we'll be releasing a new episode next Wednesday. We are on multiple platforms now, including Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for choosing to listen to Storytellers Live today, and we hope you'll join us again soon.